Well, all over our world this past week, particularly the world of religion, people have been seeking to, in some way, please God, have been seeking in some way to measure up to God's standards, in some way to gain some sort of sense of security about their position with God. There is a great question that people, that humanity for the most part seeks to answer, some in religious ways, others in their own understanding, and that is, how can I know whether or not I am good enough for God? How can I know, how can I be secure to know that I have, I have done enough to please God? That, that question is the question of the human heart. Many people, as I said, seek to um, answer the question by somehow being religious. Others answer the question by doing good things to other people and hope that somehow the measurement of their good life against the measurement of the things that weren't so good tips in favor of good and they're all okay. There's a man by the name of Martin Luther. He was a priest in the Roman Catholic Church system back in the 1500s. He was struggling with that question deeply in his life. Before the priesthood, he became a lawyer. But he was interested in the issues of pleasing God. And it constantly bothered him whether or not he was in right standing with God. How can a man know or how can a woman know that they are in right standing with God? It bothered him so much that uh, one day there was a lightning strike that almost hit him and he decided that he should leave law and go into the priesthood. And so he did. But that question continued to, to dog him. There was a time in his life when he was studying deeply in the Psalms and in the book of Romans. And in particular, there was a phrase that jumped out at him in the book of Romans, a righteousness from God. It's a statement that's found in Romans chapter 1. It's also found in Romans chapter 3 in particular. And he had been brought up in his own faith tradition to believe that that righteousness from God was the way that a person could be right with God. But he was brought up believing that one had to strive in their life to measure up to the righteousness of God in order to be right with God. And for him, that was distressing and disturbing. Because how could a person ever know for sure they measured up to God's standards? Even he as a priest was struggling to, to measure up and uh, could find no sense of security and became a very, was a very insecure person. We have a world of people in that same situation. There may be some people here today. You are struggling with whether or not you are good enough for God, whether or not you are in right standing with God, whether or not you've done enough. If you were to die today, would whatever standard of measurement you have of being right would be enough to please God. Well, there is an answer in the scriptures to this question. There is a security that is offered to us in a doctrine that's called justification. We have been studying as disciples of Christ a number of the great doctrines of our faith. We've looked at grace. We've looked at redemption. These are foundational, critical building blocks to our faith, to knowing who we are and knowing whose we are. And so on the basis of what we've learned about grace and what we've learned about redemption, I want to present to you today from the Scriptures the doctrine of justification. Would you turn in your Bibles, please, to Romans chapter 3. I want to take you on the journey of Martin Luther because this doctrine actually split the church. If you want to understand why there is a Roman Catholic tradition and why there is a Protestantism tradition, it is, you have to look no further than Romans chapter 3, verse 21 through 26. This was what spurred and spawned the Reformation, what lit up Martin Luther's heart. In fact, this section of Scripture is so significant that Dr. Leon Lamb Morris, can you imagine having a middle name Lamb as a guy? Australian theologian, 
Leon Lamb Morris, a giant of the faith, by the way, uh, classified this section of Scripture the most important single paragraph ever written. I'm not really going to, I'm not going to really debate that, to be honest with you, because uh, this paragraph caused all the fuss in 1517, 502 years ago, uh, by a man named Martin Luther, and uh, we need to know what it has to do with us. Am I good enough for God? How can I know for certain? What is this doctrine of theological justification? In fact, the his kids actually sang for us a hymn with the word justified, freely justified in it, and uh, blessed their little hearts. And it was fantastic and works perfectly with what we're talking about today. Romans chapter 3, verse 21. But before we get there, um, as Luther was studying the Psalms and Romans, which, by the way, the Psalms are quoted in Romans here, so we don't have to go chasing all over. We can just sort of stay in Romans he discovered a few things, and something that really disturbed him as he was, was functioning within the Catholic tradition is the, and, and seeking to be righteous, seeking to gain a righteous standing with God by his actions, he read this in the Psalms, which troubled him. You'll see it in Romans chapter 3, verse 10, there is no one righteous. Not even one. There is no one who understands. No one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good. Not even one. Now, I want to pause there for a second because anyone in the world today, including Martin Luther at the time, who would read this from the Psalms would realize that they are in deep weeds. If no one is righteous, not even one, if no one understands, no one seeks God, all have turned away and altogether become worthless, and there's no one who does good, not even one, what is his real standing before God? And I hope you understand as well as we sort of embark upon this that we're looking at the Old Testament here, even though it's recorded in the New Testament. The gospel of salvation is not a New Testament concept. It's a Bible concept. There is continuity between the, uh, between the reality of salvation to the Old Testament saints as well as to the New Testament church. So let's understand this, that, that what, what we are looking at here is the truth for all time. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. They blow up synagogues. They blow up mosques. They blow up churches. And the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That's the state of affairs of humanity. And within that reality, there is a population of human beings across the globe today seeking to be right with God on their own strength and on the basis of their own offerings and the basis of their own gifts, the basis of their own effort. Martin kept reading. He read verse 20 of chapter 3. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Stop right there. there is, therefore, no one will be declared righteous. No one will have the verdict from heaven upon them of righteous by observing the law, by being religious by going to church, by being nice to your neighbor, by putting offering on the plate. Oh, well, maybe, maybe putting offering on a plate would be. <laughs> by being the best wife in the entire world, by being the best husband in the entire world, by being the best neighbor that the world has ever known. No one will be declared or granted a verdict, the verdict from heaven of righteous 
in God's sight by any actions of their own. Rather, through the law or through the, the record of God's ways, we become conscious of sin. We become conscious of how far short we fall of the glory of God. So, for Luther, if good works could not land you the declaration of righteous, what was he to do? So he kept reading. But now, a righteousness from God, apart from law, has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. Paul says to the Romans, I'm not writing you about something new. Your prophets and the Old Testament scriptures declared this same truth. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference. Doesn't matter what, who you are, where you are, what race you are, what gender you are, what country you come from, there is no difference. This same reality applies to all of humanity. For all of humanity have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified, there's our word, freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Him as a sacrifice of atonement in your NIV or propitiation, the real word, through faith in His blood. He did this to demonstrate His justice. Because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. So what is theological justification? Theological justification, and this is Luther's awakening, is to be declared righteous rather than to seek to make oneself righteous. In fact, when he saw this finally in the Scriptures, and by the way, he looked at Romans 1, 17, and he saw that for in the gospel a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith, not personal effort, from first to last, just as it is written in the Old Testament, the righteous will live by faith. For Luther, this blew his mind. He had been looking for this his whole life. And in fact, it's, it's, it's stated that in history that, that he states it was like paradise was open to him. It, it, it opened up salvation and heaven to him. He realized for the first time that a person would be unable to earn their righteous state, but rather required God to give it to them as a gift. This is stunning. I know for us who've grown up in a Reformation church, this is not stunning to us. We're like, yeah, tell us something we don't know, preacher. I want you to think about this as if this is the first time you've ever heard it. And wake up and notice what this is. Justification. That God is willing. Think about this from your perspective in your little heart today. God is willing to declare a verdict that pronounces a believer righteous. That's what justification means. It's an unbelievable thing. That justification is a legal standing from God who makes a righteousness available to those who would receive it, not those who tried to achieve it. Quotation marks because this is what Luther said. 
by grace through faith rather than through human effort, self-righteousness. It is to be declared, regarded, or counted righteous by God. Now, the core essence of the doctrine that caused the great schism in Christianity, the Reformation of 1517, where Protestantism broke away from Roman Catholicism, has everything to do with this one statement in Romans 1.17, a righteousness from God. And the question on the table is, is this righteousness a gift given to us by God's grace, is unmerited favor by faith? Or is this the requirement of people who need to measure up to the standard of God's righteousness through effort on their own? That's the distinction. To us, it seems obvious in the scriptures. There is rather a haunting relief sculpture over the central portal of Notre-Dame in Paris that is rather disturbing, actually. It is a relief sculpture of Michael the Archangel holding a balance scale, and beside him is the devil. And the balance scale is... The souls of humanity hanging in the balance of eternity. And the problem with the picture is it reinforces the idea that salvation is about tipping the balance in your favor by your own actions. That is the complete opposite of New Testament theology of salvation. And the problem surfaced in the Roman Catholic tradition based on the Latin word that is used for justification. The Latin word is justificare. Two words, justice and facare. The Latin translation of that word has misled the Roman Catholic Church in the wrong direction from New Testament theology. Because that word justificare means to make just through activity. You see that? To make just through activity. The thing is the New Testament wasn't written in Latin. That's a translation and a bad one. The New Testament was written in Greek. And the Greek word for declared righteous is dikaios, which means to regard as righteous. You see the difference? The difference between to make just through activity and to regard as righteous? Luther's discovery, which rocked his world, was that biblical justification, as proclaimed by Paul, is God giving his righteousness to people who don't have a righteousness of their own because there is none that are righteous. This means that a person cannot be saved by their own righteousness. Doesn't matter how many times you go to church, doesn't matter how much you put on the offering plate, it doesn't matter how big a donation you make to repairing Notre Dame. It doesn't matter whether you go to the mosque or whether you go to the synagogue or whether you're nice to your neighbors. A person cannot be saved by their own righteousness. They need God's righteousness, which Luther called uh, justitia alienum, extra nos. A little bit of Latin for you. Alien righteousness outside of us. Alien righteousness outside of us. Righteousness from another outside of us. That's the truth of New Testament theology. Ironically, it was the first letter to the Romans, or, or the letter to the Romans, the letter to Rome, that actually enabled him to break free from Rome because of the truth here. Justification, according to the natural man, of course, is that this idea of balance scale, good versus bad. 
The vast majority of our world, whether they're religious or whether they're secular, they have this notion that if there is something after this life, my, uh, the likelihood that I will be engaged in it and successfully there has to do with how the balance scale tips. Are my good deeds outweighing my bad deeds? In spite of the fact that our own justice system doesn't work that way. Well, let's just suggest that you leave here uh, after church and you are trying to beat the Pentecostals over to Swiss Chalet. <laughs> and so you speed. And um, one of our uh, fine officers in the city, I'm sure we got a couple of police officers here this morning, will back me up on this. They pull you over. And uh, you decide to say to them, that guy or the uh, woman, whoever pulls you over, um, perhaps you've never heard of the doctrine of justification. (laughs) They say, well, why would you say that? Well, perhaps I need to tell you that um, while I was speeding now, I have been driving the speed limit all day long. So my good deeds should take care of this one bad deed. We got any police officer here this morning? You going to buy that? You're not. You're not buying that. Even in our own justice system, to those who are secular thinking that the balance scale is going to work, it's not. That's the, the justice of, or the justification idea of natural man. But I want to look today at biblical justification and how it is represented here. I want to unpack the text for you because I've given you the, the background and the idea and, and how this is, has become so, so much a um, divisive doctrine within the, the big tent called Christianity, but let's look at what the Bible actually says, and I want to concentrate with you actually on three verses, 24, 25, and 26 of Romans chapter 3 in particular. Justification, understand, is the positional status whereby we are pronounced by God righteous. It declares us in right standing with God. Now, where do we get this justification? Look at verse 24. And are justified, meaning we are justified freely by His grace. Whose grace? Well, you look at the word right before verse 24. God, through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. Very simple answer to the start of this. We are freely justified by the undeserved, unmerited favor of God who justifies us. We, we need to understand our plight. For people who think that they can reach out and seek after God and, and, and manufacture their own righteousness, maybe have never considered our plight. In Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 3, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Beloved, we were on the spiritual mat. We were on the floor. We were on the ground. We were actually in the grave. Spiritually, dead in our trespasses and sin. There was nothing in us alive to, to actually reach out or seek to, to live a righteous life before God. Nothing. That was our situation. We were dead. We were hopeless. We were helpless. No spark of righteousness to help us become righteous. That was our situation. From first to last, We needed God to reach out to us freely by His grace. That's why Paul writes to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 4, 6. The God who said, let light shine out of the dark. The God who created, this same God, made His light shine in our hearts. We didn't didn't cause the light to shine in our hearts. God made His light to shine in our hearts. To give us the light of the knowledge of God in the face of Christ. We were blind to the glory of God. We were blind to our own state. 
and, and, and the vast majority of people are either trying to measure up because they feel insecure before God, or they're oblivious to this reality altogether. Where we get justification, freely by grace from God. I want to take a little longer on this next section, though, and, ask, and answer the question, how can people be justified? You know, when we read this, when we read this, this word, and it says here in verse 24, freely, free. We, we've been trained to believe there's nothing free. We don't even, our, our spiritual sensibilities or sensitivities don't even like the idea it doesn't seem to work for people. We all think that we should earn something. If I'm, if I'm going to receive something, I really need to earn it. If, I, if I'm going to be right with God, surely there's something that I have to do to measure up. Because free doesn't seem just. It doesn't seem right. Why should I, a sinner, get off the hook? There's something shocking to us, something, something wrong, something scandalous to the idea of our justice and free salvation, free righteousness. How can a righteous God be just and simply freely declare sinful people righteous? There's perhaps no more scandalous phrase in all of the scriptures than Romans 4 verse 5. Look at it. The, the description of God here is this. The God who justifies the wicked... Let that set in for a sink in for a second. Do you see, do you understand that phrase? The God, we serve the God. The God of the universe is the God who declares righteous wicked people. Thank the Lord that he does. But it it scandalizes us. Let's go back to our speeding ticket for a second. We haven't completely explored all the possibilities there. So the same police officer pulls you over and you're guilty as sin of speeding and you know it. But you ask him once again, you clearly have not heard of the doctrine of justification. And you happen to be pulled over by a police person from Calvary. And they say, oh yeah, I know the doctrine of justification. I know that, um, that you can be declared righteous. I know that you can be uh, declared um, freed of uh, the penalty of this ticket. But um, I know all of that. No ground for punishment anymore, but hold on, not so fast. I'm not letting you go free unless the penalty for this speeding ticket is paid. Now, I don't particularly care who pays it, but unless this ticket is paid for, no justification for you. Now, that's what this text is all about. What we're going to see unfolded for us here in the idea of how can people be justified is to examine the cross of Christ. I've told you over, over a period of time that, there are not, uh, that within evangelicalism, there's a, a bleed idea that's filtering around that, that God is God and could forgive people if he wanted to, even without the cross. I would submit to you that we're going to learn from this text that that is complete absurdity and false teaching. The cross of Christ is central to our justification. And here's why. Why the cross is essential. There's three realities that that we need to take a look at over again. They're not new to you, but we need to take a few moments and look at them. The first is this, found in verse 24. Yes, we are justified freely by His grace, but not in the absence, notice, 
of redemption that came by Christ Jesus. We were trapped, enslaved in the slave market of sin and self and Satan and death. It required that we would be purchased out of our situation. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. The wages of sin is death. God had proposed a system called redemption. It's an ancient market, market term place. Uh, marketplace term, sorry. The Old Testament, of course, Leviticus 25:47 in the Old Testament, um, slaves were set free. It was the word redemption. They were redeemed. They were paid. They were purchased out of the slave market. In Exodus 15, we have a record of Israel being purchased out of, the, out of the slavery of Egypt. They were redeemed out of the slavery of Egypt. In the Garden of Eden, the living God laid down a sentence for sin. And what was that sentence? That you will die for your sins. So, all the world is held captive to that penalty of sin. But Jesus Christ went to the cross in Mark chapter 10, 45, tells us to be our ransom, to pay the price, the, 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 the price that God laid down for the wages of sin is death. The price that God laid down is death. The payment was blood. Jesus Christ went to the cross to be our payment for us by giving, shedding his own blood that we could be declared righteous by God. Sin kills, but God saves. So Christ bought us at the cross. The cross is absolutely central and absolutely necessary. But there's a second aspect of this that is found in verse 25. Uh, it's the word propitiation. God presented him as a propitiation. What does that mean? Propitiation is a word... That means to appease the wrath of God. Say, wait a second. Why, why in the world did Jesus have to do that? Well, Luther and all the rest of us who've read Romans notice a few things about, about God. And in particular, there's a description about God that runs through chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, and throughout the scriptures. There is also a movement among us that says, appease or, or, or deflect the, the wrath or satisfy the wrath of God. What in the world? I, I, I don't like to hear that about God. God's a God of love. For God so loved the world that he gave his one. Yes, yes, he is. But he, he's also a God of wrath. Look at Romans chapter 1, verse 18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their own wickedness. Romans chapter 2, verse 5, but because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. And if that wasn't enough, Romans chapter 3, verse 5, but if our unrighteousness brings out God's righteousness more clearly, what shall we say? That God is unjust in bringing his wrath on us? Very important to our own sensitivities, by the way, is this. Our own sense of justice. We believe that sin should be punished. At least any sin that's committed on us. That's our whole system of justice is about. So for God to freely declare wicked people righteous goes against our sensitivities. Wait a minute. What are you doing about my sin? What, what are you doing about her sin? What are you doing about that, that person who mistreated me? What are you doing about that, God? That doesn't seem right. You are going to freely declare them righteous and get on with it? Forgive and, and forget? Is that what it's all about? No, no, that's not what it's all about. When God, our Father, commissioned God the Son to the cross of Calvary, 
it was to deal with sin, to deal with the outrage of wickedness. So in this reality, we need to understand that, that people, people don't like this term propitiator or appease the wrath of God. So they, they say that's, that's pagan religion, people you know, bringing fruit or things to, to buy off God. Keep in mind that, that what happened in, at Calvary is entirely different. This is not about man paying off God to appease the wrath of God. This is about God actually appeasing his own wrath. This is about God the Son going to the cross to appease the wrath of God the Father. What we need to understand here is that the extreme love of God demonstrated in giving his Son to save us was to save us from the wrath of God. Piper has put it so well. If you deny the wrath of God to defend love, you lose love. Why did he say that? You and I all know in terms of our sense of justice that if someone hurts someone we love, we get riled up. We get pretty angry. We need to understand that when Jesus was standing at the tomb of Lazarus and weeping, he was weeping for the cost of sin in people's lives, the outrage of wickedness and what it did to people. And that's the God we would expect him to be, wrathful against things that hurt people he loves. We would expect for God to be just, he must punish evil. And the cross settles that God did not treat evil lightly, but took his own son to the cross on our behalf. Do you see why the cross is absolutely essential for justice? One last thing in this text. In verse 25 and 26, twice repeated is this, to demonstrate his justice. To demonstrate his justice. Times two. Why? Because in his forbearance he had left sins committed beforehand unpunished. That goes against our sensitivities about justice. Justice must be punished. God must be a God of his word. The cross of Calvary was essential because there on the cross of Calvary, punishment was meted out for the sins overlooked in the past. While God was being accused of being unjust, where is the justice of God? Where is the justice of God? For all of the outrage and wickedness in this world, where is the justice of God? The justice of God was paid and proved and demonstrated on the cross of Calvary 2,000 years ago. That Jesus died and rose again, by the way, guarantees our justification. How important is this? If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we already learned last week that death has not been defeated. We also learned last week that if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, God is not all in all. But we better all understand here for our own hearts that if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we can't be justified. We can't be declared righteous. If Jesus Christ didn't die for our sins and rise again, the justice of God would not be able to declare us righteous. We would still be dead in our own trespasses and sins. This is the glory of justification. This is what caused Luther to, to, to come unglued. Nail 95 theses on a, on a Wittenberg door. To demonstrate at the cross, God demonstrated that not only is he just, but by his attributes, by, by divine activity as well. And is the justifier of those who have faith in Jesus. Look at the end of verse 26. This is, this is glorious. So as to be just and the one who justifies 
those who have faith in Jesus. God proved his justice at the cross, demonstrated it, reconfirmed it and affirmed it so that he could be our justifier. So what means does God use to justify finally? You're asking you're asked the question, okay, this is, this is all great, but what's my part in this? To ask that question is to ask the wrong question. We are justified by faith. You see it, verse 22, through faith to all who believe. Verse 25, through faith in his blood. Verse 26, who have faith in Jesus. By the way, not everyone. This isn't universal. This is an exclusive justification. Justified by faith in Jesus Christ. But it's not, isn't, isn't faith then sort of just another work? Isn't, it, isn't my faith then a work that I have faith, therefore God owes me salvation? That's sometimes how we think, or uh, my hair kind of stands up in the back of my neck when people say, well, faith is your part in salvation. Beloved, we have no part in salvation. Salvation from first to last is all about God, all about what Christ did on the cross of Calvary. Well, then tell me, Rick, what are you talking about faith then? How does it work? What is faith? I love the way one commentator put it. Faith is kindled, awakened, and kept alive by God. The same God, beloved, who declares you righteous for nothing good in of, your, in a, of yourself is the God who enables you to believe the truth of salvation, is the God who enables you to have faith in Christ Jesus and what he did for you. This same God who said, let light shine in the darkness and caused light to shine in your heart is the God who caused you to believe when you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Faith, by the way, is always has an object. Faith is not anything. Faith, faith, when you say you have faith, faith in what? It's always faith in what? Because faith doesn't stand on its own. The object of our faith is the work of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. We have faith in what Jesus did, his person and his work, so that he earned righteousness for us. That's what we believe. And so um, the writer goes on to say it's totally passive, dependent reality, but completely filled by its object. And I love the way it's Lenski who puts it this way. The object of our faith, Christ, produces the trust that holds it. From first to last, our justification the declaration, the verdict of God of righteousness on us is by grace through faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ alone and on nothing of ourselves. Otherwise, we have a right to boast. Otherwise, we have a right to say that God owes us. To these, God justifies instead of judging and condemning. Let me wrap this up by noting that the difference between false teaching or false religion in this matter and, and, and beloved of the Lord out here this morning and anyone else who's here, this is a critical teaching. What hangs on the balance here is not your good works and your bad works. Is your very soul for all of eternity. This truth and embracing this truth is the difference between eternal heaven and eternal damnation. 
And you and I must know the difference between false teaching and false religion and true scriptural teaching. And it can be summed up this way. It's all based upon the direction of salvation. In, term, in terms of false teaching, always starts with man moving to God. That's false teaching. No one is righteous. No one understands. No one seeks God. Scriptural, biblical, salvation, gospel teaching always starts with God moving to man. It is God by His grace who declared us righteous. Not of our works, but by faith in the works and person of Jesus Christ. God caused light to shine in our hearts that we might receive and respond to his offer of salvation through Jesus Christ. Christianity is less a religion and more a movement of good news. The good news is this. To, to whoever's here and whoever's listening, a righteousness from God is available through the heavy lifting of another, Jesus Christ, that is from first to last by grace, not deserved, Received through faith, which is the total disregard of self-effort, of those who believe, simply believe. We call this saving faith. And the result of justification is to be declared acquitted and free of all charges, not guilty, righteous before God, positioned as right with God forever, forgiven. At the cross, Jesus bought us. Jesus saved us from the wrath of God and delivered justice. Justice that cost Jesus on the cross so that God could be merciful to us and give us salvation. If you have misunderstood that, if you have been seeking to somehow earn favor with God, somehow through your own works be righteous enough for God, you are, friends, sadly moving in the wrong direction. The right direction is to stop thinking you can earn your way to God and start believing that there is only one way to God. Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, who paid himself the penalty of your sin. And by his works are you saved, not works of your own. By faith are you saved. Our Father, I pray this morning that we would all embrace with conviction this truth, for it is life eternal. Missing this glorious gift of righteousness from God because we insist on our own good behavior, we insist on somehow paying you, we insist on somehow earning your favor. Let us not think, O oh God, that by coming to church we can be saved. But let us think that those who are saved come to church. Let us not think, O oh God, that by putting something in the offering plate, we can be right with God. But let us think that those who are saved love to give to the work of God. Let us not think, O oh God, that we can be saved by treating our neighbors well, being the best husband or wife, being honest. But let us think that those who are truly saved treat their neighbors well, are the best husband and wife, and do good wherever they go. Let us understand, O oh God, 
that the declaration of righteousness is just that. We are declared righteous through the works of another by believing. So Lord, I pray today that there wouldn't be anyone here who would miss this great offer by allowing their own efforts to get in the way. Let us believe in Jesus Christ for our salvation alone. For Christ's sake I pray, amen. This truth liberated Martin Luther from trying to be saved. It rescued him from his insecurities in terms of whether or not he was righteous enough for God. What a glorious thing it is to be told by our God through the scriptures that I will declare you righteous through your faith in Jesus Christ. That's a powerful, powerful thing. I have a number of verses I love, but perhaps one of my favorite verses is 2 Timothy 1.12. For I know in whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. I'm not sure of where your heart is at this morning, but you've heard of this salvation, this gospel, this declaration of righteousness, this verdict offered by God. You may be saying, I, I don't know, I still feel pretty insecure and I, I've been trying to earn my way to God. But I've heard something different today. I've seen it with my own eyes in the scriptures. So what should I do? The only phrase that I think makes any sense is this. If you can believe, believe. To me, to me, that's it. If you can believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, then believe. Our Father, I pray this morning. Because you are the giver of salvation. You are the giver of faith to believe. You are the gracious God. Not because of anything we could earn. We could never measure up to the righteousness on our own that is required. We need a righteousness from you. That is awarded to us who are enabled to believe by faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ alone. I pray, O oh God that none of us would fail to miss the truth of this. And if you are calling us to believe in here, if you're calling someone to believe, if you are causing the light to shine in their heart, then may they believe for Jesus' sake. Amen.